My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Years ago, when we had lots of rays to catch, we tended to take them for granted, and as is the case today, some people weren't that interested in catching them anyway. But for many bread and butter anglers from the Thames estuary round to Devon, and from the Bristol Channel northwards on the west coast, rays were probably the best chance they had of ever catching a double-figure fish. Unfortunately, as with a lot of species back then, we as anglers also overcropped them, but not nearly so badly as the commercial sector did. In both cases, to the point that by the end of the 1980s, the writing was very clearly on the wall, particularly for what was our common species, the thornback ray. Thankfully, as of around 2005, rays generally have been making something of a comeback, thanks in part to changes in legislation curtailing the activities of certain commercial operations which pick them up in big numbers as bycatch. But because of the breeding strategy of producing very small numbers of well-developed offspring, it's been a long, slow process. So let's hope we've learned from those mistakes of the past and keep the species within safe biological limits this time around, so that anglers can once again target them in good numbers, not only expecting to catch them, but also to return them to the water unharmed. Certainly, that's what Langstone-based small boat angler Wayne Condon would love to see happen. So what is it then about catching rays that's grabbed so much of your attention? One of the things I like about ray fishing in my location is just the fact that we've got the main five species out there, and a lot of them, and a, a good size of them as well. So if you're fishing out uh, in the eastern Solent, you'll pick up spotted, thornback, undulate, small eye and blondes regularly and you'll do that as if you're mixed fishing so you could be cod fishing in the winter you've got a very good chance of picking up uh, thornbacks and blondes on your um, cod baits uh, same in the summer if you're fishing for hounds and, and what have you I think the fact that there's so many and, and such a nice varied range of rays in the south coast I, I do enjoy catching them, they're a nice species to catch as a point of clarification, because I often get asked what the difference is between skates and rays, maybe we should address that particular question next. From a purely scientific point of view, there actually is no difference. That said, we as anglers tend to think of skates as being the bigger species well able to hit three-figure weights, with the rays tending to be the smaller growing species, even though, as I've said, they're both one and the same. What's less often discussed is the fact that within the smaller species we call rays, there is a very real split between those such as the undulate and cuckoo with rounded wingtips and the thornback, blonde spotted and small-eyed ray with pointy wingtips, which are very important features as these aid specific identification. And for the purpose of this particular podcast, although they are still rays, species such as the electric rays and the stingrays will be excluded here as they don't belong to the same family as those previously mentioned, which is riadae, hence the prefix raya in front of all the scientific names. So let's now take a guided tour through the various rare species, and just for completeness, I'll throw in the main identificational features as we go along. One of the most common species we, uh, we have is the thornback ray. They get to a good size. I've had them up to 17.5 pounds on my boat, and I know there has been a bigger core, which is a fair size of thornback, actually. They tend to take most baits. There's not a lot they'll turn their snout up at. They like rag, squid, fish baits. I do find that squid and fish baits do the damage on, and that, that will actually go for most of the ray species. That's the two, for my area in particular, the two baits that really do seem to do the damage. There's a huge amount 
of variation in the colours of uh, Thormax as well that we find. You get some with spots on them, they almost look like a, a, a huge spotted ray. You get some with eyes on the wings, all sorts, very varied in their markings. I'd say probably an average size for the solar would be between six and eight pounds. There's quite a few in that range. As for the ground they like, they're very varied. They tend not to find too many on the fast flowing banks. That's more blonde ray country. They like rough bottom, incredibly rough bottom as well. You'd be bream fishing and you'll pick them up on your bream rigs. They like sandy bottoms, all sorts. I think they tend to range over where there's food. So there's a food source from them there, that's where they'll be. Obviously, they come into different areas to purse as well, I think. But you find them all in all depths of water as well. I've had them um, up to 100 foot of water, right down to sort of 15 feet. In the Solent, we're, we're very lucky. There's a very good population of thornbacks. The large ones are harder to catch, mind, now. There's not as many as there once were. Anything over, I'd say, sort of over 13 pounds is a very good specimen now. I think the largest snake last year was only about 14 personally, but I did have them up to 17 on the boat. I don't eat them, I know they do, uh, they do make fair eating for some people, but I prefer cod and, and mackerel and personally eating-wise. But yeah, some days when it's a bit quiet, you can often rely on the thornbacks to keep things going. Strangely enough, you say that some rays fight harder than others, and, and I've had thornbacks do every type of thing, from a screaming run, which you would swear was a smooth hound, I've had them, didn't know they were on there, until you started winding check your bait. And fighting-wise as well, some will give a better account than others. Clearly if there's a lot of tide running, any ray will generally be a bit harder to get in just because it'll kite against the tide. Uh, they're a fair sports species, they do put a good account in. They do hang a bit, especially the big ones, they, uh, they take a bit of pulling up. So yeah, they're a good sport fish. I like them, I do like rays a lot. Going back to what you said earlier about variability of markings, thornbacks do have the ability to mimic, albeit probably accidentally, the markings and coloration of some of the other species. A typical thornback will have its entire upper surface covered in fine rough prickles with a scattering of large sharp spines with swollen bases. Markings and coloration can be quite variable but are usually greyish brown and mottled or marbled with spots and blotches which can be anything from creamy through to yellowish brown with any number of black or smaller dark spots thrown in for good measure. That said, I've caught some without even a single spine on the wings or upper back and others that were so heavily armoured that they were virtually impossible to pick up. What they also have is light and dark bands running the entire length of the tail. One of the things rays also have in common is the same approach in terms of terminal tackle to catch them. So across the board, what would you describe as being your best all-round rig? My general ray fishing rig is almost identical for all of my rays. I will use heavy mono because we've got uh, every chance of picking up decent sized blondes even on our thornback spots and if it takes the hook down slightly deep and is chomping against that anything like mono it will part, it will part quite quickly so my traces tend to be 80 pound at least I prefer 100 pound mono a 4-0 strong O'Shaughnessy hook upwards if I am trying to target the smaller rays on average I'd say a 6-0 hook is good in between for the rays, but thornbacks, it's a surprise because they've got far larger mouths than people think, and, and they will take bigger baits than people think. I mean, um, if there's a lot of dogs about that are taking your baits and causing problems, I'll just chop the tail end of a mackerel off, just hook it straight through the uh, both lips and drop that down, and even a six, seven pound thornback will have no problem in 
in golf than that you'd be surprised I mean, they, they tend to mash them up a bit sometimes but they tend to make their way to the hook with a little difficulty so um, a nice big bait uh, as long as the point of the hook's sharp and showing I don't like panels I know they can improve your bait presentation but from a personal point of view I, I like a single hook and I like quite a short trace as well on general a metre at the very most and sometimes shorter my trace mono is usually around 60 pounds, but I do keep a check on the bit adjacent to the hook, looking for tooth abrasion, and if necessary, cut it out and retie. Even if I've got a little bit of abrasion, I'll change it, because I'd hate to lose a fish of a lifetime through what is, in effect, a bit of laziness in not changing and or retying a trace. I know it can be a pain on a boat, I don't like tying knots. I can tie a decent knot, I don't like it much, but... Uh, yeah, I'm not about that. If, if I've got any sort of uh, damage on the trace, I'll, I'll change it, absolutely. And are you finding along the south coast that thornback numbers are on the increase and have been over the past several years? Quite a few of the charter skippers I've spoken to recently dotted around the country are reporting just this. Yet unbelievably, others sandwiched between them in areas where rays used to be numerous are reporting the exact opposite. I'm finding there's a good number of thornbacks in the East Southern area but the larger fish definitely is not as many of the, the big thornbacks. At one time we could guarantee a decent number of 15 pound plus thornbacks throughout season. But the last few years, certainly the bigger fish have been much harder to find. On average, their numbers have been fairly static for the last sort of 15 odd years that I've been, been fishing. The numbers are healthy. I wouldn't say there's a, a huge amount of them, but there's certainly a good number out there, which is the larger fish do tend to be harder to come by. I believe you do a bit of shooting too. I did. I don't so much now. I shoot with a mirror rifle at the moment. It's a pity then that you can't scare off that bird chirping in the background that seems hell-bent on having its say as well. Yeah, he's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> right then, next up is the one which I believe is your particular favourite, the blonde ray. So tell us all there is to know about this particular species. Yes, I like blonde rays, and I think it's just purely simply the size of the fish. They're the biggest of the, um, the rays species that we're likely to come across. You have got bigger rays, as in stingers and stuff around, but I like blondes because you've got the, every chance on certain areas of picking up 30 pound plus fish, and they're just very good sport. They give a good account of themselves, and if there's a lot of tide barreling through as well, They'll test your, your gear and your equipment. And uh, if you have a day on the blondes and it's been a busy day, you, you know about it at the end of it because uh, you know, your arms, your back, everything aches. But I'm always trying to find a bigger fish, of course. So I, I don't mind going targeting the blondes because we've got a few areas, uh, the overfalls being a, a particular example, that you've probably got every chance of a, of a British record coming from there at some stage. And I mean, realistically, it's a good chance. And it just keeps you coming back. If you're a sport fisherman, you want to target sort of bigger and better fish, you want to improve your personal bests, and you've got a very good chance of doing that with long mates. As we discussed earlier, baits and terminal rigs are a common feature across the various rare species, but ground type, tide and water depth are much more of a species-specific preference, and with the blonde rays particularly so. Blondes are probably one of the uh, species that you're looking for banks, um, with a bit of tide run over them, can be difficult fishing in areas like that. I mean, personally, if you're going to anchor up on some of the banks, particularly, as I mentioned, the overfalls, you can only do that in a, a four metre or less tide. 
I mean, I've done it in 4.1, but even that was, was really stretching things. I mean, the, the braid is singing, the rods are locked, and you know, it's no fun. And not only that, if you lose tackle, and it's not so much losing the tackle. I don't want to leave a fish with a, with a hook in it and draining around. So, yeah, you, you've got to fish those, those, those banks in a, a four-metre tide or less. And, of course, the weather conditions have to be absolutely right because you don't muck about where there's strong currents and overfalls and, and eddies and things. It's folly too. So you don't actually get that many chances a year to, to go out to the two places like that and, and uh, give it a good shot. You can pick them up on, on any sort of ground, having said that. I do find uh, locally they tend to be in the slightly deeper water. Not always, but as a, as a rule, they tend to be in the, in the sort of 40 foot and, and more. But particularly blondes like banks. I think they're there for a reason. I think they're there for the eels and, and the like. I think they sit in the lee of the tide on the banks and basically that's when I target them, I anchor up tide of the banks so my, my, I know my baits are trundling down the back of those banks. Isn't it? Just to clarify one point, you mentioned fishing in tides of up to four metres. But where I fish, tides between 7 and 10 metres are the norm. Ah. Obviously, everything is relative. So where in your tidal cycle does 4 metres sit? Obviously, depending on where you are in the country, tides are different. Now, our tides range from probably 3.8 up to about 5.1. So it's the very smallest tides you're looking at. Purely simply because you anything over £2 of lead, and £2 of lead is a lot of lead to have on, a, on the end of your line, I mean, must use braid as well. You, you have no much chance of uh, mono when you've got that sort of tide running and, and two pounds of lead on. So yeah, it's the very small tides. It's just purely and simply you're fishing at anchor, so you need to be now to the bottom. So one thing as well with rays, and I think with a lot of fish, you must be anchored on the bottom. If you think that that's your weight's trundling or flying up in the air, you're not really fishing. So to nail on the bottom, small tides. In my area, as I say, that's four metres and below, purely simply because you need small tides to hold uh, your bait on the bottom in those sort of currents. Long rays are usually a pale sandy colour with small uniform dark spots right to the edge of the wings. They also have a prickly feel all over. And similar visually, often to the point of confusion for many people, is the spotted ray. I don't know why that should be because there are very definite, easy to pick out differences if you know what you're looking for. Spotties are golden yellow with spots of varying sizes which leave a blank margin around the edges of the wings and are also prickly only at the front end. The spots can also form a noticeable circle in the centre of each wing known as an oscillus. Maybe it's just wishful thinking when a medium sized blonde comes up that it could be a record spotty which in reality would struggle to make double figures. So let's now move on to that particular species. They don't get much bigger than sort of five pounds. If you get a five pound fish and above, it's a very good example. They do like fish baits, spotted baits. I mean, you will pick them up on squid, no problem. But I do find that if you've got a fish bait, mackerel, herring, and the like, even sandy, actually, for that matter, they do like fish baits in particular. They often have um, different markings on them. You get some with huge eyes right on the centre of the wings. Um, and some will have a pattern of larger eyes as well, almost like a diamond pattern. I'm not sure, but I really don't know about this. We've certainly picked up rays that almost look like a cross between the species. Probably more to do just with the variation in markings, but there's certainly quite a, a range of markings, even on the spotted. Yeah, I mean, most of them just have the spots, but you do get a lot of 
ones with the big eyes on the wings. Some have slightly larger spots than others. Colouring-wise, they're all round about the same. But this is an interesting thing, actually. I've found a lot of rays with black markings on the nose. And spoke to some other anglers, and a few of my friends have actually started to notice it more. Whether or not they've caught them, not really noticed. But all the species of ray, actually, and a few dogfish in the Solent have got very um, black markings. Not on the skin, it's actually in the skin, all around the nose area. Strange, I don't know what that is, but it's an unusual thing that I've seen quite a lot of. That's the point, I've seen a lot of this black markers on the nose. Don't know what it is. Not something I've ever come across myself, though I have seen it in some of your photographs. Showing up in different species, and in the case of a dogfish, even in a different genus, means it can't be inherited. And being set into the skin as a pigment means it isn't picked up incidentally either. Something locally it looks as though it's causing this trait to be acquired, but I've no idea what or how. Maybe you should contact the Marine Biology Department of Southampton University and see if they can shed any light on it. Meanwhile, next up for us is the small-eyed ray. The small-eyed rays, they're a little bit like the blondes. I find they do tend to like banks a little bit more than uh, maybe some of the other fish, uh, the other rays, I should say. Small-eyes, again, you'll pick them up on squid. You will pick them up on worm. I don't use worm much. I don't use it for my place fishing, usually. When I use average baits, which will be mackerel, squid or a fish bait I've found no preference for the small eyes they'll take all three quite happily they're not as common as the, as the other species I will say that in fact they're probably out of the five species of ray they're probably the one in the Esonia you're, you're less likely to come across but that said we have got a, quite a, a good number of them and I do find that you'll get more small eyes as the year progresses so early doors you won't find as many, but once you get into sort of uh, September time through to sort of December, you, that's a, a peak time for the small eyes, especially the East Nab area. I think I had one last year, uh, about £10.5, I think, something around about that. That was my best uh, small eye from last year. But I've, I've had them up to about 15 in the past. Again, they're not widespread, but they're not uncommon. So they seem to be doing okay in our area. Again, a nice ray, put up a, a good scrap, you know, when they get to a certain size, they give a good account of themselves. And yeah, not another fish I like to target. They're, they can be mistaken, I think a lot of people mistaken with the undulates, because although the undulates tend to be dark a lot, where we are, they're very dark, uh, chocolatey coloured undulates where we are. You do often get very light ones with very faint markings on them. And I know a lot of people get confused between the small eyes and, and the undulates marking-wise, but... Once you've caught a few of them, you know straight away what's uh, the difference between a small eye and an undulate. You only need to look at the wingtips, really, pointed for a small eye and rounded for an undulate. Undulates have dark lines and blotches edged with small white spots, whereas small eyes have off-white lines and white spots only. And in my experience, the small eyes also like the bank tops, which many of the other species seem less keen on. But does that hold true down here? I've never had a small eye right out on, uh, on the fast running banks. I've had them on the more uh, gentle sloping banks in the areas. Uh, the, the, we've got a depression just on the east of the nab that goes into about 80 foot of water. And if you really want to target uh, small eyes, I tend to fish just down the, the banks there. But you can have them down into the depressions, into the very deep water as well. But yeah, they, they do tend to like a, a, to sit on the banks, I do find that, but not the very fast flowing ones. Moving on to the undulate ray, this is now an officially protected species and cannot legally be brought ashore, suggesting scarcity or being endangered, which in some parts of the country it probably is. But I don't necessarily think that that's the case to the east of the Isle of Wight. 
I personally have only ever caught one, a sight I have to say I will always treasure. Well, they are the most handsome ray, I think. When you get the ones with the really deep chocolate markings and, and the, the lines, the spots on them, and they're an incredible looking fish. You get the old one that's uh, not so, a bit wishy-washy looking, but in general they are, they're, they're quite a stunning looking creature, I find. Um, the eyes I find on rays, going a little bit of an aside, the eyes are almost alien, incredible. They really, if you ever get a ray and, and you hold it up and you, you, the light goes through the, uh, the, the gill case and you can see the light shining on the eyes, it really is an amazing thing to, to see. But um, no, they're, they're handsome fish, Angelus, and we have got a really good population of Angelus in the uh, eastern white area. Very, very good population. I picked up quite a few nice Angelus last season. Um, 16 pounds was the best one I had, um, but I had about 4 or 5 15 pound fish and quite a lot below that. But the Angelus, uh, I think the Angelus along with the blondes, I think all rays are predatory, but they won't turn the nose up, obviously, at a static dead bait on the, on the deck. But I've had more undulates on live bait than any other ray. And with fishing on my own, I tend to hedge my bets and have a few different rods out with different baits on, just, just to see what I can pick up. And if the, if the toper around, or I think there might be bass around, I'll, I'll often have a live mackerel down there or a small pout. And very often, uh, you get an undulates. You can get thornbacks as well, and and, um, and blondes as well take a live bait, by the way. But Angelus in particular do not mess about. At one time I thought it might have been, uh, I put, a, say, a live mackerel on, maybe a cut was come along and, and killed it, which they often will, and then the rays come on and, and found that, but not so. I mean, you've you only got to watch uh, the end of your rod when you've got a live bait on, and you can see that little uh, ding-ding as the, as the poor thing uh, panics. It's <laughs> just about to meet its maker. But... Um, yeah, so I knew it was a live mackerel on, and then I had an to absolutely smash them. But uh, good sport, very good. I mean, it's nice to have a catch a big ray on a live bait. And I've not had a small ray take a live bait. That's the other thing. So it's it's a nice way of, uh, if you do get a ray on a live mackerel, it tends to be a decent sized one. Completing the set now of what anglers call rays, and I have a feeling that you might not be familiar with this particular species, having only ever seen the odd one here and there myself, particularly from deep water, is the cuckoo ray. Another round-wing species, which if it reaches five pounds in weight, would be an absolute monster. One of those once-seen, never-forgotten species, with rounded wingtips, sandy in colour, but with a tight circular patch of black spots known as an oscillus in the centre of each wing, rather like the markings on an RAF fighter plane. Not only have I never seen a cuckoo ray, I don't actually know anyone who's caught one. So, I am aware that there have been cuckoo rays caught, along the south coast, but I've never come across one. And I think you would know if you've come across one. They're quite, uh, they're quite spectacularly uh, looking, you know, marked fish. But no, I've, uh, I think they are a rarity. Same with, I think there's a, a bottlenose ray, I think. I'm glad you mentioned that one, actually. As a species, it's an absolute rarity. Though the record was actually taken near here from the needles. Brian Douglas and I had two inside the dinghy back in the early 1980s. The biggest going £140, filmed by the late great Kevin Linane of the Central Fisheries Board out from Fina, caught in less than 20 feet of water. And this is a very real example of where the distinction between skates and rays gets blurred. Bottlenose rays potentially can grow bigger than common skate. They get their name from their extended nipple-like nose. But they're also known as white skate due to the pure white underside coloration, 
unlike the common skate, which is covered in tiny black spots around each of his body pores. It's fairly clear then from what's been said that the blonde ray sits on the top of the list for you. So why that particular choice? I enjoy catching all the species of rays, I really, I really do. I think the thing with the blondes, as I've probably mentioned before, is the size. I, I, they get, they're the biggest of the main five species and as such they tend to put out the best fight. But one of the other things about blondes are, if you find a, a good spot, then you can have plenty of them as well. So if you get the right weather conditions, tide conditions, and you go to the right area, then you can have a very good day's fishing on the blonde rays. And of course, the good thing about some of the overfalls and banks you fish for blondes is that you have every chance of picking up very good specimens of other species. You often get turbot, some of the other species of ray on the banks, uh, all, you know, all sorts basically. So um, if you're on the, a blonde spot, there's every chance you might pick up other, other species as well. But going back to the blondes, yeah, they're, um, I just find they put a very good account of themselves when they're hooked. They're very obliging. They engulf baits and tend to get hooked very well. I've rarely had one deep hooked. I nearly always just release them at the side of the boat anyway, but if, if it looks like it's worth a photo or weighing it, then, uh, then I'll bring it on board. But I don't like to keep rays out of the water for too long. I've noticed um, a lot of rays tend to get very pink around the wing edges if they're uh, out of the water for too long. So I, if anything, I'd get them in, get them unhooked. If you're going to photograph them away, do it quick get them back in the water but as I say I don't eat rays I like the sporting qualities rather than anything else um, they're a very uh, obliging species the blonde if you're on the right area then uh, you can have a very good day on a very good sporting day What for you then is your season for targeting rays? That's an interesting point actually blondes tend to be almost all year round out on the banks and we've had them person so whether they're actually spending their whole life on these banks, I wouldn't be sure. Now I don't like to fish when they're person, obviously for obvious reasons. They get a hard enough time as it is, so clearly it's a stressful thing bringing it up through the depths. And if I can avoid that when they're uh, when they're in their breeding season, then I will. But other than that, they tend to be throughout the year because of the where I particularly fish for them. If I'm targeting them, I don't so much do it in the depths of winter. So I would say probably February through to end of October is when I'll fish for the for the blondes. I tend to leave the, the winter time for target, try to target the cod if I can. But yeah, they, they, they're there. They're there all the time. So um, I wouldn't say there's been any specific time when I've gone and they haven't been there. I mean, you, you obviously have days when the, the fish don't seem to bite. Some days are better than others. But I think, from my experience, that from my particular area, they're... They're there on them banks all year round. And in terms of standout catches, what sort of numbers would you typically expect to catch? What would be a real red letter day catch? And what about any special individual fish too? If you're out for a full day out on the banks, you've got to re-anchor as the tide changes. And I like to fish down the side of the banks. You've got some really, really steep, peaky banks, and a lot of people tend to want to try to fish those. But from my experience, I don't mind the really long, gentle sloping banks. That fish I mentioned that I had a real heavy uh, take was on just such a bank. What I do think is more important is where you're anchored and where you think your baits are going to end up. I find just if you're fishing down the back of the bank, and I'm, I'm no doubt at all that, that they'll move, 
if you've got a cent on the bait, no doubt whatsoever that they'll come up a bank or they'll travel back down a bank. I think they'll even come over a bank. I'm convinced of that. But if you want to target the numbers, then I think they're like most fish. They like to sit in the lee of the tide, wait for things to come over the top. My very favourite type of bank, to be honest, is, is a fairly gentle sloping bank. It tends to have a few sort of dips and gullies in it. Because it's always in my mind that that's a point where there'd be a little lull in the tide, where there'd be all sorts of goodies maybe sort of ending up. That's where I've had them actually the most success. But yeah, a good day for me would just be a busy day where you're just picking them up on the uh, Sunny East Run, and then over Slack you just have a look around, find another bank that's anchor up for the West Run. I've not found a difference between the East and the West Run. A lot of people I've heard speak will say that one fish is better than the other. I've not found that personally. I'm willing to give a, a spot a very good chance. So if, if nothing happens in the first couple of hours, I know a lot of people will move. Whereas I'll be a little bit patient and I'll wait a little longer. Maybe that's more of you know, then things are picked up. But I've certainly not found a difference whether the east or west run makes a difference. But I do like to fish down the back of those banks. I'd say particularly good days is when you're getting bites all day long. I'd say a good day, probably you'd be looking at so there's two people fishing on the boat, you'd be looking at double figures each, getting up to sort of ten rays apiece. That'd be a real brahm of a day. But if you catch half a dozen, boat half a dozen, I should say, each, that's a, a very good day. And to be fair, you get every chance of doing that. Size-wise, you don't seem to get small blondes on the banks. Most of the fish are double figure. So the most are a ten pound plus. I'd say on average... They probably average out to £15. But of course, you know, you're always targeting the big fish. I had a 25-pounder a couple of months ago, which is a very nice fish. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. But I know for a fact that there's been high 20s, you know, 28-29-pounders caught quite often. I've had them myself, but it's only recently I've started weighing and photographing fish. When I first started fishing, I did it just for the enjoyment of the sport. As I fish more and more, i found that it's always nice to look back at photos and to weigh fish I won't weigh a fish unless I think it's a big fish so if it's 20 25 plus I'll put it on the scale to see what exactly what it is but at the moment I'm sort of aiming for 30 pluser that's what I'd like I've certainly had fish in the high 20s and quite a few but I'd like a, I'd like them in the 30s which I don't think I've had one 30 pound on the overfalls it's mostly blonde rays although I have had undulates and uh, I've seen a couple of thornbacks caught, but it is mostly blondes. But if you come onto uh, some of the other ground, there's a few marks I've got where more than one occasion I've had spotted, thornback, undulate, small eye and blonde in the same day, in the same spot. So, as a rule of thumb, blondes like fast flowing water, banks, but there are areas where you get all five species on the same ground. So. Clearly they're willing to, to move over all sorts of ground. I'm assuming that the reason the spots are, that I'm talking about fish so well is because there's a good food source there for them. So that's why they're there. And uh, I've no doubt that if you, if you stay down and get a good scent trail going, you can bring them in. I wouldn't like to say from how far away they could scent a bait or move into a bait. So they've got to be in the area, no doubt. But I've done that a few times. So I've had people that, that sort of said, no, they won't do that. You know, Undulates like rougher ground and small ones like banks. And I've said, well... There might be a generalisation, but certainly on more than one occasion I've had all five species on the same ground. Can we now start to look at tackle and tactical preferences? I 
got two 320 lever drag reels, which will cope with nearly for everything. They're nice and light, they tend to have a good drag, and they do the job, absolutely perfect. Rods, as long as it's a fairly decent quality rod, again, 20 30 pound class rods usually do the business. You have to up that for the blondes because you're putting bigger weights on as well, so a 30 50 pound class is a little better. And there is that possibility of a, of a real monster ray, and that will really test your gear. So it's got to be fairly quality gear if you're targeting the blondes. But I bought some kind of fixed ball uh, pen slammers, which yeah, they're pretty good reels actually. No, I mean they've handled two pound of lead and twenty plus blondes, piece of cake. They are designed a little bit stronger than a normal fixed ball. I'm no expert on uh, the insides of reels. It's the pinions strengthened, but there's a few parts inside that are slightly stronger than normal fixed balls. But yeah, as long as your gear's up to the task. But no real preference between fixed balls or, or multipliers. Braid is clearly what you have to have if the tide's running. But when I'm in shore a little bit further, I'll, I'll use mono. I've got a few spools that are, uh, are spooled up with mono. I'm quite happy to, but um, as a main line, I used to use 30 pound braid, and it, it was generally fine, but I've gone now, whenever I replace it, I'll put a 50 pound braid on. I just like that extra strength, really, purely and simply. I always put a rubbing leader on, like three rod legs, whatever, around about 60 pound, which might seem a little heavy, and I have used slightly less, but I prefer to use 60 pound. I use the improved Albright knot, which has not let me down yet, and it's nice compact knot, so it goes through the uh, rings nice and easy. I said 90% of my fishing is done on a running ledger. I do like it to be nailed on the bottom, that is an essential for me. And as I say, short traces, I think. I've seen no benefit of using a long, a real long trace. I mean, I've had friends come out and use 15-foot long flowing traces. Well, yeah, they catch fish as well. They certainly don't catch more fish. I just find it more awkward to get the fish to the side of the boat with a long trace like that. So, yeah, personal preference, short trace. And I do like to use 100-pound mono for my traces because a ray has got quite an abrasive mouth. And if, if you've got a bit of tide running too, and you put it out through the depths and, he, and he's slightly deeply hooked, they will chomp through that mono quite quickly. Well, certainly I've found if it's any less than sort of uh, 80 pound at a minimum, it, they will part it. You mentioned earlier your preference for hook sizes are between 6-0 and 8-0, according to the size of bait and fish on the day. But what about the barbs? Rays, as we all know, have very thick skin and tough mouths. For that reason, do you ever squeeze the barbs down and maybe put a tiny piece of elastic band on the hook behind the bait, pushed up just over the barb to help keep the bait in place? That's a very good point, actually, because barbs, they're there for a reason, they're actually done when the fish to come off the hook, but if it's sport fishing, catch and release fishing, then obviously you want to release that fish. And there are certain patterns I've, I've found where the, the barb is very pronounced barb, and yeah, I will actually just press it down slightly, which does make it um, you know, easier to, to release the fish. But to be fair, most rays tend to be well hooked. They tend to not swallow the bait down deeply, I've found that. So even if you have got a barb on, I found you can T-bar them off quite easily. But yeah, I must admit, sometimes if they're well hooked with a big barb on, you've got to be careful with a ray's mouth, by the way, because they, <laughs> they can extend their mouth quite far, further than people think. And if you look at the mess they make of a mackerel or whatever, you, you want to put your feet... Well, I've had a couple of friends last season got a bit, well, say bit, chomped by rays. And um, 
but the noise they made and the look on their faces it looked like it, uh, <laughs> it looked like it smiled a bit put it that way so yeah you don't want to be bit by one but if the bar was too big then yeah maybe squeezing it down wouldn't hurt and of course once you've caught a fish you want to be keeping just enough pressure on it I think to, to tire it to bring in the boat so um, if you've done that then even if you crush the barb down shouldn't really lose too many fish and it will make it easier for them to, um, to release them off that hook obviously now bait choice has already been covered but what about attraction improvements such as cocktails additives like pilchard oil and the various approaches available for using rubby dubby or similar scent trails and loose feeds baits is an interesting subject because I was like um, a lot of anglers in as much when I, when I first started fishing and even to a certain extent now I like to use the best quality bait I can find in fact I've certainly found that frozen mackerel where I fish no difference between frozen and fresh mackerel and you would have thought that fresh would have outfished frozen all day long I, I thought that initially but I've since ex- found and experienced that frozen mackerel is, is a top bait absolutely top bait in fact, more than once, I've known people to come out with mackerel that's been so sloppy that they've had to whip it on the hook. Even then, it's been dropping off in their hands, and you think by the time it's at the bottom, there can't be a little more than skin left on there. But I've seen people catch some tremendous fish on the mankiest mackerel you can think. Maybe it gives off a bit more scent or what, I don't know. But I've not got a problem with using um, frozen mackerel. Obviously, most of the squid's frozen. In fact, we catch quite a few squid where we are as well, and I've used fresh squid. And again, I've not seen any difference between fresh squid and frozen squid, which is interesting. There is something that I've uh, encouraged a, f- a few people to try, because I tried it myself with really good success, and that is um, chunking. It doesn't work if there's a lot of tide running. I think you just lose it far too far down the back of the boat. But if the tide's just starting to pick up, Especially in the summer, you fed her up, say, half a dozen mackerel. Um, I've cut them into sort of inch-long chunks and just dropped over a handful every few minutes over the side, just while the tide's slack, because obviously over slack water, if you're on certain sort of grounds, especially if it's a bit rough, once that boat starts to move around, you just start to snag the bottom, lose gear, it's a bit pointless. But during that sort of that slack period time, I, I like to drop the bait over. Any, any old bait I've got that I'll bring out with me, just drop it over the side. Sometimes you use a bait dropper. I've seen people use bird feeders with a weight on the bottom. It, it, as long as you get that bait down there. And what we then done is just put a chunk of mackerel on. Obviously, there's a bait and dropped it over. And we've had very, I mean, I had five hundreds in a row on a, a spot, all double figure fish, doing that just outside Chichester Harbour entrance in about thirty-five foot of water on completely flat ground. And um, I know people that have never caught an angler, so something you need to try. I've found it works. As long as the tide's not barreling through, then uh, if you've got any sort of old bait or a few extra mackerels, well worth trying. So we're out fishing, anchored up over a likely raymark. You've dropped some junk baits in, and the hook baits have just touched bottom. How do you like to set things up for bite detection, and to ensure that your rod doesn't get dragged over the stern? Basically, I only use enough weight to hold bottom, but I can't stress this enough, I, I do f- like to be nailed to the bottom, so as long as I've got enough weight, Every now and again, if you're not sure, you know, lift your rod up, feel that rod hit the bottom again and it's not trundling off. If you unlock your drag a bit and you find that that's whizzing off, then obviously up your weight. Chances are it's not on the bottom, it's just being lifted up. But what I tend to do, as long as I know my bait's on the bottom, 
I don't often hold a rod actually, I'll often put it in rod holders. Now I've got the, uh, I think you call them the rocket type holders. I've got two sunk into my gunnels at the uh, end of my boat. I've got two that fit on my handrails. Now the thing I like about those is they're strong holders. If you set your drag so as it's not too tight, but it's obviously not too loose. I can stick it in them rod holders. I'm not one for striking fish. Obviously I watch my rod tips all the time, I'm constantly watching rod tips. But if I see a little bit of activity on the rod tip, I think might be a ray. What I'll often do is I'll, I'll give it a moment, just give it you know a minute or two, just to maybe settle on the bait. And personally, the only personal preference, I'm sure a lot of people have different ways of fishing. All I'll do is I'll just gently, gently take the slack up, feel that weight. If the weight's on, lift into the fish. I don't strike. I'm never really like striking heavily into fish. And that way, I, you know, I found that I don't tend to lose too many. Once you feel that weight on, you know when they're on and when they're not, obviously, and then it's just a case of playing them to the side of the boat. And when it gets there, what then? Hopefully not gaffing. What do you favour, hand lifting or a landing net? If I'm going to photograph a away array, then obviously I need to bring it into the boat. So I've got a nice, strong, big net. It was made by a fellow called Stainless Steve, who's, who's quite well known um, down here. And I'm, they are well made. It's like a basketball hoop. You can hang off it, no two ways about it. It's heavy, which is the downside of it, but it's strong. And I had my net remade on it as well, so it's not, I've got about five foot deep net. Which, again, a lot of people say, well, you don't need it that deep. Well, you know, you'd be surprised if uh, it makes it a lot easier to net a fish with a deep net, I find. Nine times out of ten, I'll net the fish and bring it in, but I'll also sometimes cheek them in. On the side of a, a, a ray, there's a slight indentation in the cheeks, which you can feel it. Again, watch the mouths, because they certainly will try to extend them sometimes and grab you, but it's a very nice lifting point, I find. And often I'll glove them in. The only thing I find with that is, if there's a bit of tide going, unclip the weight first, without a doubt. Two pound weight, big ray on the end, lot of tension on that. If you're leaning over there and that weight's still on there, the last thing you want to do is that, is that catapult into your forehead. So uh, I would suggest you take the weight off first. Either really, I don't mind netting them, or I don't mind uh, cheeking them in. I can do it on a Wilson, they've got low gunnels. So you can lean over quite easily and do it. On a Raider, I think you'd have to net them. So anything with a higher gunnel is a net job, and obviously gaffs are out as far as I'm concerned. The only fish I've ever, I've, no, I didn't gaff it myself, but I've ever really been involved in gaffing was conger, when they wanted to bring them in the boat. And I will say they went back fine. Conger, for safety's sake, a gaff is probably a good idea on a big conger, because they're a powerful, powerful thing. So uh, but on rays and anything else, no, doesn't have an application for me. And as I say, I, I've never killed a ray, because they're a sport fish for me. If people want to take them home, with the exception of the Angelo, obviously, which is now protected, that's up to them. And I wouldn't knock them for it. Absolutely fine. If you like eating rain and want to take them, absolutely fine. Personal preference is not for me. I, I like them as a sport fish. I like mackerel and I like cod to eat. Bream, place. Not bad eating fish. No. And, and the one thing I also raise as well, they, they're like a lot of the shark family. They tend to be, um, there's a lot of ammonia going on in, the, in, in rays and, and the like. So, Prepping as well, if you don't know how to prep one, uh, I think a lot of people freeze them for a, for a couple of weeks, which uh, I've heard dispels the ammonia in them, but a lot of rays tend to carry ammonia, like, like, as do a lot of um, hounds and, and the like, so, you know, if you're going to take one for the table, just look into how to, uh, what the proper prep is for them. Mate choice, as I've said earlier, has already been looked at, 
And while we all have our own preferences for cutting, presenting and even cocktailing it up, though most rays are not fussy feeders, getting that presentation wrong can have an effect on bait spinning leading to line twist, lift off the bottom and the ease with which it can be taken in. So what then are your preferences in that regard? What I tend to do, I like a nice big bait, because I think rays, even down to the spotted bait, you'd be surprised how big a bait they can take. You know, you put double squid bait on and often you'll, you'll have a spotty take it. What happens is, if there's a lot of dogfish about, it doesn't stop them. They'll wedge a double squid bait in their mouths, even if some of them are even hooked. They're just, they've got it so wedged in their mouth that you, you can boat them just because their mouth is actually stuffed with a bait, so they're not even hooked. So when the dogs are around, I like to just use a big bait for two reasons. One, big bait, more scent, so that can only be a good thing in my eyes. But also, if you've got the little peckers about, a little pout pecking away at baits, and, and a big bait will stay on there you know, longer than a small bait. I will occasionally use elastic if I'm getting hammered by the small fish, but I don't often um, bait elastic baits on. What I tend to do if I, if I put a double squid bait on, if I've got a big old 8 hook or 6-0 upwards of, of a hook, I'll put two squid on, I'll hook the first bit through the tail of the squid, and then through the tail of the next squid, and I'll sew it on if you like, so bring it back out, back round, hook it again, hook it again. And then I'll pull the head, at least the head off of one of those squid, and put that on as well. Because what often happens, if you've got a squid just hooked once through the tail, a lot of people say, oh, it's about presentation, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll go with that a long way, but with a lot of these fish, we're not talking sort of freshwater fishing where they've seen baits before. If they see it, then they find it, they want it, they'll take it. And as long as the point of the hook is showing, and the bait is on there well, then um, I'm not too fussed with all this pedal rigging and bait elastic. Uh, yeah, if I don't think it's required, I, I won't use it. And I say this because I've got some very good friends of a really good shore fishermen and I think it's a little bit more important with them because they're casting baits and the presentation is slightly more important. But they've tried all this on the boat and it's not improved things. You know, they haven't had better catch rates and they haven't had worse catch rates. You know, it's just, I suppose it's a lot of it's laziness. It takes me two seconds to uh, thread a, a squid on, do two squid on, pull the head off, put that on. With mackerel, I like a mackerel head as a bait, a very good bait for rays. Or uh, I take the tail off just purely to see if we stop the bait spinning when it goes down. But I'm not adverse to using a nice big two thirds of a, of a good sized mackerel, no worries about putting that down. Again, I've had fellow anglers say to me, you know, they've not been comfortable using a bait that big. But when again, when the, when the dogs are around, that'll stay down there a bit longer than a, a side of a mackerel. Put a side of a mackerel down and the dogs will take it in no time. If you've got a much big bit of mackerel on, as I say, two-thirds of a mackerel, it'll stay down there longer. And if it stays down there longer, especially when the dogs are around, you've got more chance of picking up your target species. If you're aiming for rays, then uh, more chance of them coming for that. But if I could use one bait only ever from a boat, it would be squid. I find it very versatile in all its shapes and sizes. If you strips, whole bait, double, treble, whatever, I find it very versatile bait, squid. But, you know, if you've got the bait on board... Try it. There could be days when they do prefer a sand eel, a launce bait. And I have found that. If you've got a packet of launce out with you, sometimes that can be the difference. If for some reason they don't like the mackerel or the squid, then try the launce and, and vice versa. I'll have heads with excellent fishing. I'll have a fish and a couple of rods, I'll have a different bait on each one. And if one does tend to be doing the business, which um, squid often will, 
Squid loft now fish all baits, to be fair, for the rays. I've always got a five pound box of squid, put it that way. There's a reason why I've got it. And the cocktail baits? I don't often use cocktail baits. I have done. If things are slow, I'll try anything really. I, you know, I'll try live baiting, I'll try anything really, just to up my chances of catching fish. For the same reason, again, as I just mentioned, I've not found it's outfished the single baits. But if you've got them, say you've got a couple of packets of sand eel, a few squid, bobs of squid, and a few um, few packs of mackerel, then uh, well, you can favour out the fresh mackerel, then see what they want at the time. I used to think maybe it was seasonal, because uh, I know a lot of the bass fishermen, they say that um, th- there's a time of the year when they're preoccupied with uh, sand eels, when the cuttle come in, they tend to get preoccupied with the cuttle. I've not really found that with a race, I've, I've just found that at any particular time, or any particular day, they might just fancy one bait as opposed to another, so if you've got it on board, then all the better. Now when people are fishing from a charter boat, which I know you don't do, unless they're up tiding, the best place to be on that boat for rays and for other scent attractive feeders is fishing over the stern. The more of other people's baits you can place yours down tied up, the greater the scent trail you can tap into with your bait, in theory at least being the first one a fish following the scent trail back to source should come across. Scent, as you've already mentioned, is a big thing with rays. So what, if anything, can be done from a small boat to tap into this? The more scent you've got coming out, the more scent trail you've got coming out, the more chance you've got of picking fish up. Again, I know that they might attract in your target species. You, every chance of attracting in what you don't want. Again, going back to dogfish and the like and pout and, and whatever. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm convinced that a chum bag on the anchor definitely improve the chances of picking up fish. Interestingly, um, a few years back, a fellow I know dropped a big chum bag on his anchor. I mean, I wouldn't recommend this, of course, but it's just something he did a few years ago. He tied out actually a, a hook length on a hook and baited it up as well on his anchor chain. And he had a 22-pound undulate when he pulled it up. It was a monster. I mean, it was a British record at the time, would have been, had it been a uh, modern line. So, so, you know, to me, that just shows that if you've got a good scent trail going, then you've got more chance of uh, fish coming up that central and finding your hook bait. And say if you're fishing a charter boat, then uh, if you're on the stern and your, your bait's the first they come across, then uh, it could be the best position, possibly. But that said, I, I've not done a lot of uptiding. I've not really needed to do a lot of uptiding where I fish. But I've been out a few times on my boat and I've, I've had one or two fellas say, do you mind if I chuck an uptide? I go, yeah, of course not, it's out of the way. Now, we've been fishing in deep water, probably 80 feet, and I'm not expert on uptiding by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm guessing 80 feet is kind of the limit or as deep as you'd ever want to uptide. And what I have thought about is by the time they cast that bait as far as they could, by the time it's come to the bottom and settled, I imagine it's, we know enough fishing under the boat anyway, as opposed to dropping a line back and, and trotting it back down the back of the boat. But, I've seen this more times now than it's not a chance or or a one-off sort of thing. Often on a slow day, it's that bait that picks the fish up. It's that uptide bait that chucked it out with a grip lead on. I'm convinced it's fishing near enough under the boat, but that doesn't seem to matter in that depth of water anyway. And we wear bass regularly have bass picking up those baits. So um, and clearly, bass are one of the species that tend not to like, you know, a boat slapping in shallower water or, or whatever, but it's in, in, in sort of 80 foot depth, they, <laughs> they don't seem to worry at all about it, but um, 
if it's a bit slow of a day, I will break out a, a grip lead and throw one as far as I can uptide. And yeah, often it'll it'll be that one that, that picks up the odd fish, rays included. You know, we've had uh, all the species of rays on the uptiders too. Do you not find that if you tie a rubby dubby bag to the anchor, then get a breeze cutting across the tide, particularly as the run eases, that the boat and the base end up off the rubby dubby line? The slick itself still works, but now it's drawing fish away from the base, whereas a weighted bag dropped over the stern on a narrow diameter line to cut the tide will move with the boat and continue doing the job. Personally, I don't put rubby dubby on the anchor chain. I will do it, I will try that. What I tend to do is, when the tide drops down enough for me to do it, I'll either drop down, I've got a bait dropper, the bait dropper, there's, be- there's actually better ways of doing it than that. I mean, you can you put a heavy weight in the bottom of a carrier bag with your line on it, tie a knot just above the weight, fill the bag up, drop it, and as you lift it up, opens the bag up, lets it all down. That's ideal. If the tide's not running too much, you can actually drop it over the side. You can see it going down. Now, if, you're, if you've got an, uh, enough tide and the wind is holding you in that direction, then that's, that's ideal because I think that's all going down the same line as your baits, so that's good. But what I also think is, if you've got that scent in that general area under your boat, so if you even if you have got it on the anchor chain and you swing slightly off or the wind's holding you off, I still think the fish will home in on that bag and then if you've got a bait in that general area, they'll home in on that. I'm sure millions of years of evolution mean that fish have got every advantage they can possibly have of finding food. So... I'm sure the scent, I mean, it's well documented that sharks can find a drop of blood in a swimming pool or, or the such like. So, it's a bit like, as I mentioned earlier, when you're fishing the banks. I know for a fact, I've seen fellas, they're not, they've been on the top of banks, they've anchored sort of wrong. They'll still pick up fish. So clearly the fish will come from off the banks, even good strong tides, to find their baits. So, the key to me is having that scent down to bring fish in to your general fishing area. Clearly, if you can keep the baits in line with that central, yes, that's what you want to be doing. But um, even if we're slightly being swung off it, I can only see it being an advantage. What about online swim feeders, such as a small plastic film canister riddled with holes, then filled with fish guts, or a sponge soaked in pilchard oil, attached to, say, your lead, so the bait and the central are always working together? Yeah, I've done it a few times, and particularly when it's slow, because you obviously you want to find a, an angle that's going to improve your fishing. So if it's slow, yeah, got it. I've got the little freshwater swim foodies actually, which um, I just clip on alongside the weight. If there's not much tide, I'll use that as the weight because often they're often weighted anyway. But in the sea, you, most of them haven't got enough weight on them. But yeah, I've tried that, particularly for the place actually. I've tried that. Chop up a few ragworm, squid guts, you know, any, anything that I think is going to have a bit of scent to it. Pack it in as much as I possibly can in there. About three seasons ago, funny enough, purely by coincidence, um, the first time I tried it for the place, there was a fellow fishing uh, nearby that was trying the same thing, as a matter of fact, and in fact he was fishing with, um, with Dave Barham, and a very slow day on the blocks, and it was his swim feeder that picked up the, uh, the few places they caught that day, and I think that absolutely helps, I mean if it, if it increases that central, it's got to be a good thing. Another idea might be to have a spur trace baited up for the rays with the bait marinating in pilchard oil ready to be swapped using a trace link. Yes, I think if you've got a, a, a trace made up, I mean I've always got traces made up, always, I've got trace wallets, always got spare traces made up. Because sometimes you have a real witch now when the fish are heavy on the feed and if you haven't got a 
trace made up, then you can waste time trying traces. So always a good idea to have a, a, a trace made up. Fish oil. I've not had any success using fish oils. At one time I've tried uh, basically uh, pulling the head off a squid, cleaning it out, filling it with fish oil, sort of tying the end off if you like with a bit of bait elastic, hooking that on, poking a few little pinholes in the, in the squid mantle and dropping it down. It's not out fish to piece of normal squid in my experience. So I tried a lot of oils, I tried pilchard oil and, uh, and a few others, tried some of the uh, just, just out of interest, the halibut oil, pellet oil, and, and bits and pieces. But um, from my own personal experience, it's baits, it's fish baits they want. I mean, I, I even tried buying um, mussels, loaded mussels, and I shut them, uh, chopped them, filled them inside the squid mantles as well, and, and you know, just anything to try to see if anything works. And to be fair, I found no discernible increase in the fishing. So for me, generally, it's, it's my squid, mackerel, sand eel. One thing I will say, I don't leave them down for too long. Even if it's slow and I don't see uh, anything knocking the baits off, 15 minutes usually, I'll bring that in, I'll change it, I'll put it back down. Yeah, I, I like to think my bait's got a bit of scent attracted. I, I think it does get washed out pretty quickly in the sea, so uh, yeah. And, I, and as I say, I tend to fish quite heavy. I tend to fish as many rods as I can possibly get out. So and then, and, unless it gets really busy, and then it's, if it's silly season, you've got to get a few of them in. Especially there's hounds about and the like, things that tend to, to tangle you up. So, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll fish hard until the fishing comes on well, and then I'll, then I'll drop down a few baits. So I've always got a bait down there. I do like to always have a bait on the deck, no matter what. But yeah, if you've got a trace made up, all the better. And to finish things off, what would you like to say to young newcomers to sea angling who may have read and been influenced by adverse comments regarding fishing for rays? Well. That's a difficult one because you get certain people that are, that are just preoccupied with certain fish species. So for some it's bass or nothing, cod or nothing. For me, I like it all. The more varied and, and species I can catch, the better. I, I like all species of fish. Some of my favourites, obviously, but um, I don't mind what I catch. Now, what I found taking children out, kids out on the boat, I've got loads of nephews and friends who've got kids that like fishing. My, my daughter don't mind a trip out now and again. It's catching, that's what kids like, kids like to catch. So if, you, if they're catching, they're happy. Now, when they see rays come up, I've found that they're spellbound by rays. They love the look of them, because they're a very unusual looking fish, a rays. They give a good account of themselves as well, so the kids I've taken out on my boat, they just want to catch, and if they haven't seen it before, that's it, they love it. So it's a usual thing with, when you're fishing with children, it's just uh, telling the ins and outs, the safety aspect of it, you know. Fish, some fish can bite, most rays have thorns, not just thornbacks, they have thorns. Although they don't have teeth as such, they can bite. And I imagine they make a nasty mess of a child's finger, so it's just teaching them the safe handling. Respect for fish, I think, is a, is a big thing. I'm all for taking them back for the table, but no problems with that whatsoever. You want to eat a fish, that's your decision. And um, if, if you've got kids that like eating fish, that's even better, it's a healthy meal. You've got absolute provenance, you know where it, where it comes from. You know, it's fresh out to sea. If you fish out in my area, the Solent, they're going to be one of the main species you're going to come across. So just enjoy them for what they are. But I probably, when I first started fishing, because we caught rays as a bycatch a lot of the time, I, I probably had a little bit of a, a sort of, oh, it's another ray, put it back sort of attitude. But I've changed, I've definitely changed. I really enjoy catching rays. I like seeing them come up. I do respect rays. 
they are a little bit of an, an underrated species from a lot of people, but they can make for very good day's fishing. And there you have it. A comprehensive guide to fishing for rays, passionately delivered by a man who is a real devotee of the various species. My thanks then to Wayne Conban and to the blackbird in the tree at the bottom of the garden for sharing the contributions with us here.